0: is uh, lesson number five, the book of Revelation. And so we're just going to jump right in. Is that all right? So uh, take your Bibles. You can turn your Bible to Revelation 1. I'll eventually get there, but I always have to a little bit do a little bit of preface work. So um, I started this t- some time ago. And again, for those that don't know, Wednesday nights, I've segmented Wednesday nights. The first Wednesday night is dedicated dedicated to praise and worshiping the Lord together. and uh, And then we have communion together. And water baptism uh, every other month or so. So just be aware of that. Second and third Wednesdays, I'm dedicating to uh, teaching verse by verse through the book of Revelation. So this is the third Wednesday. So we're on the book of Revelation. Fourth Wednesday is, um, is leadership training, and we just cover all kinds of things with that. So We're just kind of breaking Wednesday nights up and just doing all kinds of things. Encourage if you're a parent and you're watching online, if you have children, they need to be in church because where you put yourself shows them what's important to you and what's important to you one day will be important to them if you emphasize it. How many hear me? So, you know, we're one of the few churches that still have a Wednesday night service because you know what? Our culture is encroaching on our personal lives. Have you figured that out yet? and it's making an indelible impression on our children, which is really, really sad. So we want to counteract that. We have children's programs. We've got youth programs. We've got a lot going on. So I encourage you to get your kids in church and bring yourself to, and let's do something for the kingdom of God and help our community. What do you say? Anyway, enough said about that. Um, uh, the book of Revelation, uh, I was driving to church tonight, praying the whole way, and this thought coming uh I actually had to had to get it jotted down in one of my apps, and it says this. Here's the here's the thought that came: the holiness and purity of God will not allow sin to go unchecked. Isn't that an interesting thought? In an individual, a nation, or in the vast universe, sin must be judged. And you know, we live in a really loose age. I talked about some of that Sunday morning, but. You know, people don't even understand the fact that they need Jesus as their Savior. And you know, the the populace of the American culture aren't interested in salvation because they don't think they need it because in their minds, everybody's going to heaven because we're all good old boys. And we're too good for God to let us go to a place called hell. In fact, hell doesn't even make sense. If God is love, why is there a hell, right? But what we don't factor in, and I'll cover this Sunday morning, is the holiness of God. God is love. But God is also holy. That means He's pure. And we have no clue about that in American culture today. And to me, it is so sad. So uh, there's rhyme and reason to all that God is and all that God does. The reason God sent Jesus Christ to the cross is so He could fellowship with us because Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, they chose to sin. And when they sinned, they separated us from God. They separated us from His love. But God is love, but because He's pure and holy, His love can't, can't get near darkness, sin. How many hear me? Depravity, and we're a depraved people. God can't come near us. There was a guy. There was a guy named Uzzah. That's kind of a strange name, U-Z-Z-A in the Old, Old Testament. And he just touched the ark of the covenant where the presence of God was, and dropped down on the ground dead. And it freaked everybody out. Why'd that happen? Because God is holy, and unholiness and sin cannot get near God's presence. Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden for one sin. How many hear me? Wow. So, uh, you know, uh, Moses was not able to go into the promised land because of uh, because of one sin. So it's sin that keeps us away from God. And thank God he loved us enough for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Is that good news? We don't understand the love of God until we understand our own human depravity. And you don't want to understand the book of Revelation until you understand that God originally, originally made this whole thing perfect. It, we, we lived in a pristine environment. The world was perfect. It was, it was uh, pure. It, it, it was uh, created to, uh, inhabit for human life to inhabit it for eternity. But because of sin, the curse came. We live in a fallen world. And now death and disease and all kind of nasty is here. And it's the reason that Jesus came. It's to set us free from all of that. And he's coming back. He came first of all as a lamb of sacrifice, but he's coming back the second time. It'll be completely and totally different. He will come back as a judge and he comes back to judge his enemies. He comes back to judge sin and he comes back to purify this fallen world and to make every right, every wrong righted. How many hear me? His absolute and pure justice—it is in his nature—and then you know you got to understand again that there's a malevolent being called. He's got several names in the Bible: Satan, Lucifer, um, the evil one. Several other uh, adjectives describe him and who he is. But he originally thought that he could usurp the throne of God in heaven and uh, and and, ru- and rule the vast universe better than God could and he led some of the angels of God away from God, and they got kicked out of heaven, kicked to the earth. And and Satan is so idiotic that he actually thinks he can do it here, what he tried to do in heaven. That is, somehow overtake the earth, have a man, the Bible terms, the Antichrist, come and try to rule every nation on earth with certain kinds of laws and such, and take over God's purpose and plans for humanity. That is in the future. However, he fails, Jesus comes back, whips him, and uh we're going to live with God both in heaven and in earth for eternity. Is that good news? So Ephesians chapter one, nine, and ten. I read it last week j B. Phillips translation. God's allowed us to know the secret of his plan, and it is this: He purposed long ago in his sovereign will that all human- human history should be consummated in Christ, that everything that exists in heaven and earth should find its perfection and fulfillment in him so you know uh, a Christian worldview, if you have a Christian worldview, it's not us eradicating the human race with nuclear weaponry and it's and it, and it's not some diabolical scheme that you know the whole planet is just completely eroded by climate change no no, the future is Jesus is coming back to make everything right, and our future is we're going to be with God, not just in heaven, that's just a temporary place. There's going to be a new heavens and new earth wherein dwells righteousness and you get a brand new body when Jesus comes back at the rapture of the church and you're going to live in that, in that thing for eternity. Is that cool? So I don't know if you think that way. I think about it all the time and I've got people that I know and you do too that actually I've already gone to heaven. I've got family members I'm pretty sure are there. Some other people that I know I'm not sure are there. But I do know those that are there enjoying a the pristine life, and that's the future that you and I have. Is that exciting? So that ought to excite all of us. The question is, are we so excited about it, we tell other people about it? Because people are concerned when they look at how the, the, the state of our nation is right now, and the state of our world, and how things are, it seems to be eroding in every vein and every way, and they wonder what the future holds. Well, for the believer, the future is bright. We're on the winning team, and thank God we win, right? So uh, let's just get right into this. I've spent several, um, uh, part, uh, part one, part two, and part three of this series on the book of Revelation just explaining uh, the three definitions of people groups uh, that the Bible talks about. That was the first lesson. Second lesson, I looked, we looked at, uh, at the um, full covenants that God has cut with the human race. Uh, the third uh, in this series, we talked about revelation that God gave Daniel of the timeline of end-time events. There's seven years of Jewish history yet to be fulfilled that God revealed to Daniel. You've heard that uh, popularly called the tribulation. It's really a misnomer. Nowhere in the Bible calls it the the, tribu- the tribulation. There's one poor part of it, uh, just a few years, called the great tribulation. It's really Daniel's 70th week, a time when God once again begins to deal with the Israel and the promises made to them. And, and it's all about Jesus coming back and dealing with them again and then dealing with the sinfulness of the human race. So we covered that. And last week, we looked at Revelation chapter 1, the first eight verses. So let's just dive right in. What are you saying? And do verse by verse. We'll hopefully get through the uh, first chapter of the book of Revelation. So Revelation 1, this is New King James Version, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place He sent and signified by his angels to a servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Now, if it was near 2,000 years ago, what do you think about now? John to the seven churches which are in Asia, that is Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests, to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He's coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him, even so I'm in. Uh then verse eight. I'm gonna hook right back up with verse eight tonight and give some more explanation on verse eight. If you weren't here last week again on the website, we have the video from last week. The audio was there as well. You can hear the podcast as well. And my notes are also on our website. And every time I preach, we have uh we use U version if you want to open up U version on your phone, as long as you're not looking at text messages and Facebook, all right? Uh, go to U version and you can check out my notes are actually right there, and you can follow right along. I don't always have time to share everything in my notes, so they're normally there, and then they'll be on the website, you know, and we'll publish those uh, once uh, uh, once I, I minister. So, uh, verse eight, Revelation chapter one. Jesus said, "I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end." Says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. And so uh, Jesus again refers to Himself as the Alpha Omega to other places, uh, Revelation 21, 6 and twenty two thirteen. Again, those that's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And what Jesus is saying here when He says, I am the Alpha, He says, I am at the beginning of everything that ever had a beginning in the entire universe, period. Isn't that cool? Re- uh, pro- it reminded me of Proverbs chapter 8, where, where wisdom is personified as a person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. If Jesus is at the beginning of everything, that means there's nothing in your life that has started that He's not intimately acquainted with and that cannot help you with. Yes or no? It reminded me of Colossians chapter 1. Listen to this New Living Translation where it talks about the Christ Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. I love this. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. How many know there is an unseen world? I mean, if we can believe in quantum physics, if you can use your phone every day and data is going straight into the, into the airwaves and, and you're connecting with people on the other side of the nation or in another state or at home, you know what? That means there are things invisible that manipulate the seen world, yes or no? And so if, if we use the modern technology the way that we do, it also means that everything the Bible says is in the spirit realm really is there. Thrones and dominions and principalities and powers and there's Jesus Christ, there's God the Father, there are the angels of God. How many hear me? There are also demonic forces, and it's according to what we yield to as to what holds sway in our life. But it says here, He oversees thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him, for Him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is first in everything. So, you know, my mind takes that regardless of what comes into my life. It may seem like it has a beginning, but Jesus was there before it ever started, right? So, every problem, before the problem ever started, Jesus is there. And He's the Lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. And He's got the answer to all of your problems before they're, they even come into existence because He is the Alpha. And then it says He is the Omega. That is, He is the last. I mean, He was here when everything began. And he will be here when everything is completed. In fact, when every single one of us, this is a thought, every single person in this room watching me, either now or sometime in the future, every single one of us have Jesus Christ in our future. I don't care if you don't even acknowledge God, Jesus Christ is in your future. You say there is no God, Jesus Christ is in your future. You're a believer, Jesus Christ is in your future. For us as believers, we stand before him and he rewards us for what we've done in this life, in our bodies post-salvation. So some people think the way we live isn't important. Yes, it is, because he's going to talk to you about what you spent your time doing, what we valued, what we paid attention to, spent our time with, and what we accomplished in life. He has a purpose and plan for each of us, yes or no? Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me think well, a couple of times. It makes me think a good bit about me and who I am, what I do, what I think, what I say, who I associate with, what I'm involved with, how I spend my time. So I don't know about you. I don't want to waste my time on, on frivolous things that don't make any difference because he to say, what you been doing? So he is the Omega. And so if you don't know the Lord, the sad thing is he will be your judge. And we'll talk about that later in just a little bit. Also, it says in this verse here, he's the Alpha Omega beginning, the end says the Lord who is and was and who is to come. And then it concludes by saying the Almighty. And that Greek word, when it says Almighty, that word Almighty means the all ruling, absolute, universal, sovereign, the Almighty, omnipotent, And then I looked this up even today. I looked at it again. He who holds sway over all things. Now, what does my mind do? That tells me if I'm facing a challenge in a relationship, he holds sway over all things. If I'm having a challenge financially, He holds sway over all things. If I'm challenged in a relationship with someone, He holds sway over all things. If I'm challenged in my job, if I'm challenged at home, if I'm challenged in my personal life, if I'm challenged in some habit that I've allowed in my life that I want to get rid of, He holds sway over all things. He's the sovereign. So guess what you can do? You can say, Father, I need some help. You can say, I messed up. And if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. And you say, I need some help. I need some wisdom. I need you to work in this relationship. I need you to help me solve this problem. I need you to help me with this thing on my job. I don't know what to do. The boss is putting more on us and I don't feel like I have the time. But you created time. And you can help me get more in a second than anybody else ever could, right? Or a minute, right? So He's the sovereign one. That's what I like about it. And uh, this word almighty is used uh, of God ten times in the New Testament. And nine of them is in the book of Revelation. Because there's some there's some pretty stuff, tough stuff coming in the book of Revelation. And what you need to know is he's the beginning, he's the end, and he is the almighty. So there's nothing that comes that can take him by surprise. And nothing that happens in this life or in this world that he won't help us through if we trust him. Is that good news? And so again, the bottom line is we, we in verse 9, I, John, um, John says, Both your brother and companion in the tribulation, the hard places, it, <clears throat> and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So John here reminds uh, the believers there that he is their brother, and their companion, and he mentions three areas where he's their brother and companion. It says that right there. He's their, first of all, he's their com- companion in tribulation. He's saying, I've gone through hard places, and if I've gone through hard places, and I've been successful and come through it on the other side, and God has seen me through it, he'll do the same for you. And you know what It' Good that, you know, here's what you need to understand about tests and trials. You know, God allows things to come into our lives. He doesn't produce negative things for us. But we live in a we live in a fallen world. Well, why does God allow these things? Because He knows if we'll trust Him and we'll trust His Word and we'll trust Him ultimately that He'll bring us through those things. And then when you and when you go through something that is a hard place for you, how many know that all of us go through the same kinds of things? There are no tests, trials, temptations that are that are not common to all of us. And God will make a way for us to get through it. Is that right? And so if you go through something, the plan of God is, as you're just tooling around in your life and you're talking to people and you're meeting people, how many know you can encourage someone else when you can say, I've been there. I've experienced that. I know what that feels like. You know, I'm 60 years old. I'll be 61 in October. I've been through a couple of uh, ruckuses in my life and all with all kinds of things. And what I can tell you is, when you think you're at the lowest, God is there. When you think you're at your highest, God is there when you feel like you can't you can't go any longer. God will make a way when it seems like it's through for you in some area of life. It ain't over till He says it's over. And you know what I found out? He is ultimately faithful. So He said here, He said here, He's their brother in tribulation. If you really want somebody to be your friend, identify with them. Jesus identified with us by by being although He was deity, He came and lived lived in humanity. The Bible says he was in all points tempted like as we are. You know how many times before God in my private life, I've said, God, you know, I'm struggling with this. And then I said, you know, Jesus, I know you struggle with this because, because you became flesh and blood. So you understand me, help me. How many know he is a friend that sticks close and you can trust him? So I'm telling you, I've been to the point of wanting to die. And I know how that feels. And I can tell you, he is there. How many hear me? So don't be discouraged, be encouraged, because he's the ultimate encourager. Secondly, he said, um, he said he was their brother in the kingdom. They were living in the expectation of, of Christ coming back, and John said, so am I. I How many know we ought to be living with that expectation that Jesus is coming again? Yes or no? No, it's amazing. Most believers, the stats are not good. Most believers in the U.S. don't have a worldview, a Christian worldview. Because they don't understand things to come, because by and large pastors haven't taught it for a long time. I'm getting back to it, and I'm not gonna be one that stands before Jesus and he points his finger and says, Why didn't you talk about it? I said, I did, I did. To the best of your ability in me. Now I probably messed up some, but I tried, right? Thirdly, he said he was their brother in patience. How many know until Jesus comes back it's faith and patience that inherits the promises and You know, God's promises are yes and amen. And God comes through and God answers prayer. But how many know you got to hold steadfast? And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it takes a while. And when it takes a while, you need to know faith and patience. Just hang in there. Don't give up. Because sooner or later, God's promises come to pass. How many hear me? And that's the encouragement that John had to the believers there. John was on the island called Patmos. It's, uh, it's, on, it's in the Aegean Sea. In fact, I've flown over the Middle East umpteen times going to Africa, various parts of India. And I've flown over that part of the world. I always look at the little map, you know, on the back of your seat in the airplanes. I usually flew British Airways. And I uh, always had a little map. And I was always looking in the oceans and looking at all the various places Bible references and I and and you can see the Aegean Sea and I'm looking for Patmos, you know well it was right there 60 miles southwest of of Ephesus modern-day Ephesus and a city in modern Turkey it's about 150 miles they're looking from the other way from from Athens Greece this uh this place that where John was it was only uh, about 10 miles long six miles wide and had no trees it was full of rocks it's it's where they It's where they put criminals, and uh, John was banished there for the Word of God and for his testimony about Jesus by uh, the Roman emperor Domitian. So I want to read this. I found this. um, There's uh, If you can find this, Haley's Bible Handbook. This guy was anointed by, I like this guy, this guy Haley anointed by the Holy Ghost, I think, because some of these things are real heady. His is not. So I just wanted to read what he said about the historical background of the book of Revelation. I just like the way he wrote it. He said these visions uh, were given to John, of course, and the book was written in the lurid light of burning martyrs. I just like the way he said it. The church was 66 years old when John wrote the book of Revelation. The the church age was, we're into it 66 years. It had grown enormously. It had suffered and was suffering terrific persecutions. And there were three basic persecutions during John's day that they had to deal with And I want to read this because I want to make a comment. The first imperial persecution of Christians, 30 years before the book was written, was instigated by the Emperor Nero. If you've ever read the first century about Nero, Nero, I believe he was demon possessed. Uh, He could have been a paranoid schizophrenic. I don't know. He was a mess. And uh, anyway, many Christians were crucified, terrible, thrown to wild beasts that would put them in a... Uh, amphitheater and, 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 and put these Christians out there and, and let hungry lions loose. And the people would laugh and joke and scream as the, as the uh, lions tore the Christians' bodies apart. Doesn't sound like fun to me, but that's how he had his fun. And uh, they were also um, wrapped in combustible garments, burned to death, while Nero laughed at the pitiful, sh- pitiful shrieks of burning men and women. Paul and Peter suffered martyrdom under Nero's persecution. The second persecution was under the emperor Domitian. This is 95 AD. It was short but extremely severe. More than 40,000 Christians were tortured and killed under him. It was during this period of persecution that John was banished to the Isle of Patmos. And then there was another one right after that, uh, that of Trajan, Uh, It began around 98 AD. John lived through the first two and was now about to enter the third of Rome's efforts to blot out the Christian faith. Those were dark days for the church and still darker days were coming. So I said that because it seems like our world is coming full circle and the kinds of persecutions that they endured. First century, the scripture seems to intimate. They're coming back to the earth before Jesus comes back because one more time Satan is seeking to resist God. So I want to encourage you regardless of the persecutions we face. I'm not sure we'll suffer these kinds of persecutions in the Western world. I hope we don't. If you'll vote right and pray, how many know you may be able to keep some of this at bay from the United States of America? How many hear me? If we don't vote right and we don't pray, and the wrong kinds of people with the wrong kinds of ideology get elected to our public offices, you could have some real hell to pay. How many hear that? And uh, so I encourage all of us to be very prayerful about these things. Nonetheless, it seems as though just before Jesus comes back, I've often thought that God, it seems like He's coming first, full circle. The kinds of persecutions we had then are coming back now. Revelation 1, 10 through 11, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, and He says it again, verse 11, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see right in the book, and send it uh, to the seven churches which are in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These churches are mentioned in Revelation 2, And they're really meant to be a pattern of what churches face today and the days just before Jesus comes back. And I think in every, in every age of the church age, churches have had to deal with the kinds of challenges that these seven churches that are mentioned by uh, John here and that Jesus addressed in Revelation 2. Well, we're going to look at each one of these churches individually and look at the challenges that they had because they, because they equal the kinds of challenges we face in our world today. So he says here, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, when he said he was in the spirit, I don't have time to go into detail on this, but there is a place in God where you become more, more sensitive to spiritual things than natural things. And, uh, and, uh, and he said, I was in the spirit. I, one of the Bible schools I went to with, was Kenneth Hagin's in 1980, 81 and such with Susan. And we lived in Tulsa for eight years. I frequented his uh, ministry opportunities he had there on his campus. And he was a prophet, and Brother Hagin would talk about getting, quote unquote, in the spirit, and that is becoming more sensitive to spiritual things than natural things. And I don't have a lot of time to develop that except to say, I can tell you if you learn to be prayerful, you can get in the spirit and and the things of God, the things of Jesus and the things of the Bible will become a lot more um, a lot more aware in you than even your natural appetites. How many hear me? You can get there. My experience is, if I'll spend time in the Word and in prayer, now I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit, so I pray in the Spirit. That is, I pray in tongues every day. And I found the more I pray in the Spirit or in other tongues, because when you pray in the Spirit, it's your human spirit talking to God without your mind being involved. It's literally spirit-to-spirit communion with God, and it'll cause you to be more sensitive to spiritual things than natural things. So if you're having problems with your flesh and problems with things around you, come and get baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then take some time every day to pray in the Spirit, every day since September 12th, 1976. That's a lot of days. I, pray, I take time to pray in the Spirit. I did today. And the more you do that, you can, what he called, get in the Spirit. So he was in a state where he was more sensitive or more influenced by the Holy Spirit uh, than natural surroundings. And, uh, and he actually saw some things there. And uh, he actually went into a trance. I don't have time to go through this in my notes. I give some examples of Ezekiel uh, in Ezekiel chapter 8 of uh, the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10. Uh, when he was in a man named Cornelius's house, he went into a trance and had a vision. And then the apostle Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 12, he said, I was called up to the third heaven 14 years ago. He said, I don't even know if I was in the body or out of the body. I don't even know he says, all I know is uh, I had some experiences and I was called up to heaven. I was called up to paradise. And he said, I saw and heard things that I don't have human words to explain. There is the other dimension. And so what happened to John on the Isle of Patmos was he was in the spirit and, and he saw the spiritual world. And I mentioned it last week. God lives outside of his creation. How many hear me? And so God doesn't live in the framework of time. God is eternal. He has no beginning and He has no end. From everlasting to everlasting, He's God. And so it's really freaky to think about it, but, but the panorama of all of history stays before God at all times. In front of God is Adam and Eve. In front of God is the second coming of Christ, the new heavens and new earth and eternity and everything in between. Isn't that cool? Isn't it weird? That's the reason Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. That's the reason Psalm 139 said, all of the days of your life were written in God's book before you even lived today because to God, everything is now. And so John got in the spirit and he got a hold of God's now. And he saw what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes the second time. Before he comes back, when he comes back, and he saw the end of things as we know them, and and he saw uh, the expanse of future. That's really amazing, isn't it? it? says here again, I was in the spirit. then it says, on the Lord's day. Now I've done some research on this on the Lord's day, and most commentaries, and most people you talk to and probably you, when you when you read that phrase, verse ten, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. well, that means Sunday. Now, I've always thought that. there was uh, several references that I came across, however, that say it may not just be the Lord's day, but it was, but it could also be the day of the Lord, and I'll, let me talk about that real quickly. Because in the future, I'll talk about it in great detail. This is the only place in the New Testament, or in the whole Bible, that if if it's Sunday, the Lord's day, it's the only place in the New Testament that's mentioned the Lord's day. If you go look back at the history of the Christian Church prior to. John writing this, the Christians never called Sunday the Lord's Day. It wasn't until 50 years after this was written that Sunday was ever called the Lord's Day. So, um, a lot of some writers think it's unusual that. People would refer to this as Sunday because that's not something that was common to believers in calling Sunday the Lord's day. Does that make sense? So it must be referencing something else, and it could be referencing the day of the Lord, which I have found most people know zero about today, absolutely nothing. And it's a shocking experience for me to say that. But if you go through the New Testament, the day of the Lord is mentioned many times And in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is mentioned a lot of times in the prophets in Isaiah 2, Isaiah 13, Isaiah 34, Joel 2, Joel 3, Joel 1, Amos, Zephaniah, Zechariah. It's mentioned by Jesus, mentioned by the apostle Paul, mentioned by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, and the day of the Lord is also mentioned in the book of Revelation. What is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is the day. When the judgment of God hits sin, it is the day when payback time comes to God's enemies. It is the day that nobody, but I mean nobody, wants to be on terra firma. You don't want to be here when that day hits. And uh, we'll go through the book of Revelation. I'll reference this term, the day of the Lord. We'll look at it uh, exhaustively, perhaps but the day of the Lord starts in the book of Revelation specifically. You might want to go home. I don't know if you want to read it before you go to bed because it's pretty tough reading. But Revelation chapter 8, the day of the Lord starts with 30 minutes of silence in heaven. And God looking and 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 all of the prayers of the saints from the millennia of time come up before God's throne and they waft his incense before Him where people are praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be coming. If you want a good prayer to pray every day, Pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth. And then and then, make it speak, Lord, let your kingdom come in me. Let your kingdom come in my spouse. Let your kingdom come in my children. Let your kingdom come in. What are you saying, Lord? Let your purposes come to pass. I mean, you know, that's a pretty good prayer. Jesus said, you know, in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come. Your will be done, right? So this is the, they prayed that prayer. And then the day of the Lord hit. And it was a day of, it was a terrible day, an awful day. I've referenced that here. I've talked about it some on Wednesday nights, but uh, it seems as though that John could have been referencing that when he got into spirit, he saw the future. And he saw what is before God at all times. Isn't that amazing? Wow. So anyway, uh, he was in a trance and he saw that and uh, just really, really amazing. So um, while he was in the trance, while he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, he saw things which are, in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Revelation. And then he saw the things that will take place after this. So again, Romans, Revelation 1, 10 and 11. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I heard behind me a loud voice of a trumpet saying, I'm Alpha Omega, the first, the last. What you see, write in the book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And he mentions them, verse 12, Revelation 1. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Those lampstands you'll find later uh, refer to the churches in uh, that Jesus talked about in Revelations chapters two and three. Uh, Churches are to be a light in a community. How many know a church is like a lighthouse? If you're in a You know, if you're in a a vessel out in the ocean and you just see that little light that keeps turning, 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 it lets you know which way to go. And the church is a lighthouse. So he saw saw the church's seven golden lampstands representing the churches that Jesus will address in Revelations chapters 2 and 3, verse 13. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. He had on priestly garments, and uh, it's really similar to what Daniel saw, you know, seven hundred years before this. In Daniel seven thirteen, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient ancient one and was led into his presence. And so again, and and uh, the description is similar. Revelation one fourteen and fifteen. His head was like he- his head and hair were like wool as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet were like fine brass, as refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And you know, the first thing I think when I read there is John, John was with Jesus for three and a half years, and Jesus was, was a human, And, you know, he had to go to the bathroom the way they did. He had to eat the way they did. He had to take a bath like they did. He had to walk like they did. He had to dress himself, yada, yada. Here he is. He's this this guy that is just incredible because he's in his glory. That's incredible to think about. So, Jesus... uh, uh, in fact, Daniel saw a similar thing there. The Ancient of Days was seated, Daniel 7, 9. His garment was white as snow. His hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream uh, issued came forth from him and thousands of thousands ministered to him. It says again here, his eyes are as flames of fire. And that refers to the judgment of sin. How many know Jesus is our Savior, but He's also the sin judge? And every human, the Bible says it's appointed unto man, wants to die. And after this judgment, Jesus Christ, because He became our sin, then He's the adequate judge of all sin. And people don't really understand the fact that God has to judge sin. But just think of the fact, and I'll get into this Sunday morning. How many know God is absolute pristine purity? There is there is nothing unhallowed in Him. He's perfect. He's pure. and And we don't even know what that means. You know what that means? He can't get near anything impure. Because when He does, it's obliterated. It ceases to exist. So God, because He's so pure has to judge sin, and that's the problem when Adam and Eve sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned, they separated us from God because God can't get near sin. Yes or no? See, American culture, we have a God that's love. I'll talk about this Sunday, and I don't want to, you know, I'll get into it if I even start. God, is, we think God is love, but He's also holy. And we think the love of God covers everything. The love of God sent Jesus to the cross so God could get close to you and me. Yes or no? So His eyes were like flames of fire. Wow. And uh, it says that again Revelation 2.18. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Now that's very interesting that it says polished bronze, or verse fifteen here in Revelation one, his feet were like fine brass. Now you you will look over that unless you do some research. You know what that brass refers to? You know in the Old Testament t- temple there was a there was a, an altar of sacrifice where Old Testament animal sacrifices were uh, were given to God, and they were they were to uh, and the sins of the Israelites were judged on those animal sacrifices that were burned. Listen on a brazen altar. You know what his brazen his brass feet stand for? His judgment of sin. When Jesus comes back this next time, He's going to judge the sinfulness of man and all of the demonic entities that have hindered His purposes and plans. How many hear me? How many know that Jesus took our sin judgment for us? So He is the rightful judge of sin. I don't know about you, but I don't mind putting my heart in His hands because He gave His life in judgment for my sin. I can trust Him to forgive and cleanse my sin, and He will allow, and He only can allow me to go into the gates of heaven. How many hear me? Revelation one sixteen, he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth when a sharp two edged sword and his countenance was, was like the sun shining in its strength. That makes me think of Matthew seventeen two. 2, the uh, Peter, James and John were with Jesus and uh, his appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. When John saw Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, he was in his glory. And all of the glory of God was on him like it even stronger than it was on the man of transfiguration that I just mentioned in Matthew 17 too. It came on him. It says here that he had in his right hand seven stars. Those seven stars are angels or messengers, perhaps even the pastors of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. It's a really uncanny thing to think that God has pastors in his hand. That is, he holds sway over them. It makes me, um, I can't tell you what it does to me to think that God's watching over me. What I do, what I say, how I deal with you, how I treat the people in Victory Church, how many know it's important to Him? He holds the leaders in His hand. Is that incredible? Verse 18, Revelation 117, 18, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. Says it again, I'm he who lives and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. He fell at Jesus' feet as dead because he felt the full glory of God. If you ever get in touch with the glory of God, it's a magnificent thing. You can't stand up. How many have ever experienced the glory of God? On many occasions in my life, and I've been in services, I've been with people, and I've been by myself. When the glory of God comes in the room, you can't stand it. I'll tell you one instance. I had been on the Lord about a year. This is 1977. Y'all get on the stage because i got to quit. I'll just hook back up right here next time. Y'all go ahead. I've got to tell you this. so uh, A friend of mine and I, He's the guy that led me to the Lord. His name was Steve. And on Friday nights, we were Bible school students at the time. This was 1977. And, you know, this is us for fun. You know what we did? We took our meager little monies we got from our jobs and we pulled them together and we bought groceries, back grocery bags full of groceries. And we would find a destitute person who had no, had no money, but lots of kids. And we'd go to their house and give them groceries. And so that's what we did for fun on Friday nights, my friend Steve and I. And so one night we did that, then we went back to his house, and we were sitting, on, I don't know why, we were sitting on the floor in his bedroom, and we got to praying for the people we had given the groceries to, and we just got to praying and worshiping the Lord. And I don't know what, all I can tell you is, the presence of God entered the room. And y'all, I'd only known the Lord for a year, but I'd never experienced anything like that. And you know what I found myself saying? God, turn it off. I, I, can't, I can't stand that. Turn it off. I, don't, I can't stand that. It was so um, amazing. Because it it, His presence, No, it, it comes inside of you. Isaiah saw the Lord. Isaiah 6, high and lifted up. He said, I'm an unclean person. And I but dwell among unclean people. When the presence of God comes, it makes you feel—I don't know any other way to describe it than undone. It's the presence of God. So if you can walk in the paths of sin and say you know God, and it doesn't bother you, you have never experienced the presence of Jesus. How many here? Let me go further and say, if you can walk in the paths of sin, wipe your mouth and don't don't even need to repent, it means you have a calloused, hardened heart toward God and His ways, and He wants to work in your life. How many hear me? He is an amazing, amazing person.